0: Alright guys, it's Monday, June 8th, 2020, it is nighttime, and this episode is about to go live at midnight, but I felt like I had to say something because I have some sort of a platform, which I'm super grateful for, but this year has been an absolute doozy. We are in the midst of a global pandemic, and we are also currently in what feels like some sort of messed up civil war. But a just one because black people in this country have been systemically oppressed and the racial injustice that they experience every single day is unfathomable to most of us. And I want to unequivocally say that black lives matter. They always have mattered. They always will matter. And black lives matter is honestly a bar on the floor. Black lives should be revered and adored just as much as everybody else's life. One thing that hit me really hard was when I was looking at my roster for a cocktail hour, I really wanted to interview people who were on the forefront of the New York City dating scene. And what I ended up doing was interviewing a lot of white voices. This realization sort of happened for me way before um any of the current events in this country happened so i reached out to a woman who i met a few months ago who absolutely captured me with her intelligence and her breadth of knowledge on so many different topics so i'm really excited to have her on today it is my responsibility as a creator especially um a woman of color creator to help amplify those voices. If any of my listeners need resources or just wanna talk about the current situation, I'm very open to talking more about it. You can hit me up on Instagram or send me an email, but it's 2020 and it's our time to work to actively be anti-racist. We all benefit from some kind of privilege and most of us have also been through some sort of oppression but it's on another level when you are a black person in America. So that's what I have to say about that. I've been doing work on my own to educate, to protest, and to donate. Beyond that, having conversations with my family, getting them on board with coming out to protest with me. These are all really small things everybody can do to help make the world a little bit of a better place. So with that, I am super excited for you guys to hear this episode with the amazing Twana Hines, and I hope you enjoyed Cocktail Hour for now. We're going to come back with season two of our regular season where you can meet people soon, very soon. And I'm in the middle of casting right now, so if you are interested in throwing your hat into the ring, you can go to flow.page slash drinks first and you can find the casting form there and a whole bunch of other links and with that let's start the episode welcome back to drinks first Uh, today I have a very exciting guest Twana Hines is an author and a sex educator she has been featured and written about and has also written for The New York Times, The San Francisco Chronicle, she's been on NPR, uh, so many things. She's incredibly accomplished and esteemed, so I'm super excited to have her today on the show. Um, Twana, do you mind telling us a little bit about yourself?
1: Yes, thank you for having me. So I'm a sexual health educator, and I also run a firm, a digital firm, that helps people connect with each other. Uh, So, yeah, I've been writing, teaching, speaking, performing one-woman shows about sexual health and running programs at places like Planned Parenthood since 2005. So it's a solid 15 years this year of doing this, and I absolutely adore it. There are so many things I love about it, from writing um, to performing to speaking. A big part of it is just meeting a lot of the people who followed my work, who come to the shows, or who write in with questions about different things from online dating uh, to navigating work relationships. So it's very, very exciting and rewarding for me. I enjoy what I do.
0: And where are you living currently?
1: I'm currently in DC. Yeah, I've moved around quite a bit. So I did my master's in sociology, focusing on how people relate to each other. Uh, And that was down in Florida. I lived in Europe for a number of years and worked over there. And then I came back to the States. I was in New York City, where we met, uh, for almost a decade before I came down to D.C.
0: So you definitely have some insight on what it's like to date in New York and relationships in New York, which I'm super excited to get into. Um, for a lot of our listeners are on the younger side, early twenties, just starting to navigate the dating world. We've all been involved with, um, dating apps and things like that. And so I'm really excited to get an expert's opinion on the podcast because I by no means am an expert. I'm just figuring it out like everybody else. And yeah, and I, what I also think is super important and I want to touch on for a lot of my podcast listeners is... Something I noticed while talking to a lot of my guests is that people who are currently in the dating space are, especially in New York City, are predominantly white. So I want to be able to provide a different point of view and maybe shed some light into issues that relate to dating for people of color People who may identify as a different gender or sexuality, something that's not typically what we would consider the quote-unquote mainstream norm. So yeah, Twana and I are going to talk a bit today about some of these topics, and I guess we can just dive in. Sounds great to me. So Twana, what, what sort of advice can you give people in their early 20s about navigating dating? especially with all of the social media and the dating apps and things like that?
1: That's a fantastic question. And it's a big meaty question that I can take in a lot of directions. I think I'll focus on two. First, I think when you're in your 20s and if you went to college, and not everyone does and not everyone should, um, but often what happens if you've moved to New York City, either for college or um, moved there for a job, Or maybe you live there, but a lot of New Yorkers also move from other places. I moved from Illinois um, to live in New York City. And so I think sometimes what happens is you find dating in your 20s to be very different than, of course, high school, right? Like high school might be a particular way. The people that you know, the people that you hang out with and date, then you get to New York and you get into your 20s and it feels very different. And I would say that that happens throughout the life course whether you are in a particular job in a location in a neighborhood, and then you get a job in another city, or maybe you get married, or maybe you get divorced throughout our lives, we'll have different um, times where we'll move from one social work network, such as high school, to a different social network, post high school, possibly college, or living in another city that you didn't grow up with. And we'll find that dating changes throughout all of that. The way that we interact with other people what we expect from other people changes throughout our life.
0: What have you seen that like people used to expect? um, And what are people's expectations now?
1: I think the whole concept of dating has changed a lot. Like even using that phrase dating, people go on what we would traditionally call dates without calling it exactly that. Maybe you catch up with a friend, they've got a hot friend, you all hang out and then you two start exchanging texts and you decide to go out. No one says, for the most part, we are going on a date, right? Like sometimes you might mention something like that, but that's not necessarily the way in which we um, conceptualize it. A bit more casual than that and a lot less structured and formal. Um, I think a lot of what we may have grown up with or our parents may have grown up with of this idea of who asks who out on a date first how does that date happen? What do you do on that date? How many dates do you go on before it's okay to sleep with someone? All of these so-called rules in which we're supposed to follow to make sure in the end that it works out. So I'd say a couple things have changed. The idea of what working out means. So I don't think many people in census data backs this up, date one person, marry that person, and stay with them for their entirety of their lives right? People Mm -hmm. change over time. Sometimes that means changing partners too. And so I think we've seen a a lot of cultural shifts in the way that people date.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. And I would say that there's so much confusion now, especially for uh, people around my age. And I would maybe for everyone, which is what, like, I, I, I feel like people have talked about their The past experience of dating used to be, all right, well, let me take someone out on a date. Let us get to know each other. Then maybe things get more intimate and then maybe you start a relationship. Whereas for a lot of people now, that is kind of backwards. And I think with social media and with dating apps, there's a lot of emphasis on hookup culture and things like that. So people's relationships start by something that would be considered more intimate, let's say sex or hooking up casually and then getting to know somebody and then, you know, perhaps being in a relationship. Do you think that one way is healthier than another or do you see success in one way more than the other?
1: I think you're right in the fact that things change over time. One of the exercises I think is fun to do is take a deck of postcards or cards, right, index cards, any kind of cards. And we did this when we were working with uh, parent-teacher workshops um, in different places that i have worked. Of how do you talk to your kids about sex? How do kids think about sex? So this would be smaller kids, right? Not like teen kids, but sometimes even younger than that. How do you actually have a conversation with children or family members about sex in a way that's age appropriate? And so one of the activities that we used to do is have a list of postcard of cards and have everything that could possibly happen on a date. And so this is something that would be helpful for high school students and college students too, right? So meet someone, meet their parents, um, friend each other or follow each other in social uh, media, exchange text messages, um, introduce to friends, go out, have sex. What are the different kinds of things that could happen? Put those cards in order in which the way that you think it typically happens in your friend group, like you and the people that you know, what orders does that typically happen? All of those steps, in which order does it happen? Now, if I were to ask you, have your parents put that in order of which the way it happened for them, they probably mm. put that in a very different order, right? That's and so I think sure. that, uh, cultural shifts change, things happen in which what we expect um, shifts. And that can be good in a lot of ways. So for example, interracial marriage was illegal in this country until 1967 with the Loving decision versus the state, uh, state of Virginia, actually. And so the number of people who were marrying someone whose ethnic background didn't match theirs in the 60s compared to the 70s, 80s, and then the 2020s, right? It's very different. So a lot of things can change.
0: So you mentioned social media and that sort of conglomerate of things that happen. How do you think social media has affected dating today? And relationships, I guess, both.
1: I think social media is a tool. It's an accelerator. Whatever is going on underneath it, it just speeds that up. So if there are inequalities, technology doesn't inherently fix it. It just accelerates whatever was going on before. And so if we're meeting people out and about and we're meeting a lot of people and then you add technology onto that, it just expands the number of people that you can meet. I don't think that technology is inherently good or bad when it comes to relationships. It's what we do with it. Technology can give us things like the Calm app. You get in an argument with your a partner and then you do a meditation app on Calm and it calms your ass down and you feel a little bit better about that. That's a good thing, right? It gives you tools. It gives you resources. Technology yeah. can introduce you to people that for whatever reason, you've not met each other. However, you friended each other up and liked each other on Tinder or Bumble or Match, plenty of fish. There are a million of these things, right? So you found each other on... Coffee Meets Bagel, one of these sites or apps, and now you're hanging out with each other. And if it weren't for the apps, you wouldn't have even known that each other existed. And so it brings a lot of people into your sphere, which may not have come there. Of mm-hmm. course, there's the question of algorithms and settings. Because if you could say, I don't want to date anyone who's blank religion or blank ethnicity or older than X or lives more than 20 miles outside of Y. You can actually still engineer who's being put into your ether. It isn't a complete free-for-all when it comes to a lot of these apps.
0: So I think that's such an interesting point that we now have filters to sort of restrict or put to put restrictions on things that we may have not even restricted before. And those restrictions may not exist and are. Real life day to day, when you meet someone and you might be interested in them. but when you're on an app, you have the choice to filter out ethnicity. you have the choice to filter out age, you have the choice to filter out religion. And I feel like this causes a whole host of issues, especially as somebody who is um, who is a woman of color. And something that I've noticed and I've talked about this in past episodes, there's an app called Hinge. It's the most popular dating app for people my age currently. I don't like using Hinge because I feel like I get one kind of ethnicity. Um, there is the opportunity for me to filter that out, but I don't like to do that. Um, and I, it got me thinking, you know, why is this happening? Is it just an anomaly? Um, I spoke to some other friends of mine. They've experienced similar things if they were people of color. I was trying to figure out how the algorithm worked. I have no idea. I have literally no idea. But I do think it's possible that people on the other side who are maybe looking at me are setting specific, you know, filters to find somebody that is like me. So. If you are Indian, like I'm Indian, a lot of Indian people like to stay within our community. Maybe that's why I'm popping up for more people that way. What do you think about putting filters on things that, you know, maybe in real life we don't have those filters? And how, did that, how does that affect the dating scene now?
1: Look, I think anyone should be able and willing and eagerly enthusiastically Uh, have the opportunity to date anyone that they want to or not date someone who they don't want to. Like they can choose whoever they want to be with in their dating world. And and in a healthy relationship, we don't date people who don't want to date us, no matter what that is, right? So if someone's Mm -hmm. not treating you well and not treating you in a way that respects you or shows honor towards you in a way that you know, they earned their place in your life, right? Kick their ass out of there. And so there's this sense that we should be going after and dating people who want to date us. And so then when we talk about the filters, there are several things to consider there. As someone, meaning if you, listener, you personally, anyone who's listening to this, if you are out there and putting your filters, think more mindfully about that, right? Like if you've got a certain age or ethnicity or location, what is it about those filters that makes you feel comfortable selecting that? Because I think often what people do is they select these filters and I am comfortable comfortable, or I am not comfortable with X. And so then they set the filter so that the thing that they think that they're uncomfortable with is outside of their purview. So if you're a listener and you're out there and you're someone who is setting these filters, I'd actually encourage you to be more mindful about that and just really consider like why are you making whatever choices that you are? about the person that you think would be appropriate for you to date. Because a lot of that is cultural, um, societal, it's learned, it's ingrained in how we're taught an appropriate partner might be. So that's that. And if you're in the receiving end of it, like you're like, okay, so I think people might be filtering me out because I'm a man who's shorter than what women want. And so I'm going to lie and say I'm taller so I can get the people that I want or I am a woman of color and I think that they're only going to connect me with other people who are the exact same ethnicity that I am or all of these things. I say find a different app if you have to, because there are so many different apps that offer so many opportunities and the algorithms, the way that they're set up, the filters, what exists and what doesn't exist, those change app by app. So say you're into polyamorous relationships, but you're on an app that doesn't even offer that as an option then you may not be in the right app for you. And so it could be an exercise of understanding what you're looking for and finding the right app to match that.
0: Do you think dating app culture has helped contribute to the fetishization of women or people of color or somebody who looks or acts a certain way or somebody of a specific sexuality?
1: I'll go back to my earlier comment and say that technology accelerates. So if there are Mm -hmm. people fetishizing someone or some ethnicity or some, you know, redheads only or whatever, and think people who are X are automatically like Y, right? And that Mm -hmm. is the definition of a fetish. You've taken that person, that human away from being an actual living, breathing being that has feelings and thoughts and ways in which I like to behave or not behave and think or talk or not talk or a million different things that they've got. And you've reduced them to what you believe they are based on that thing. And so now you've objectified them, you've turned them into an object. And that's what fetishizing is. It's taking something that's an object and making it a sexual um, thing of desire, It's desiring some object. So when you're fetishizing a culture, when you're fetishizing someone, You've reduced that multi-level, multi-dimensional person, that human, and reduced them to this 2D, very flat stereotype of what you think that person is based on whatever factor. You know, all whatever people are a certain way, all people with this trait are a certain way. So then you're going after what you believe them to be rather than what that human is. That happens with or without technology.
0: I think that's such a great definition. I personally struggle with this question a lot, but how would you delineate between a fetish and a type?
1: I think everyone has a type, whether it's dated or not. I think if you think you don't have a type, you may not be examining all the different ways in which you have privilege. Uh, so very few people would say my type is able-bodied. But if you look at everyone you've dated, are you dating really, truly everyone? Very few people mm-hmm. would say openly, my type is only my ethnicity. Uh, But if you look at everyone you've dated, is that really who you are, right? And if you say, I only date anything, age, height, ethnicity, whatever. So even if you think that you don't have a type, maybe what you're considering type, like, oh, I date all ethnicities or I date all the ages. But no one's dating every single person that there is out there, right? And so I'd say that everybody does have a type. I truly believe that. There are things that we find sexually gratifying or physically and visually appealing to look at for whatever reason. Everybody's got things that they like, you know, or it could even be something as simple as personality type. Some people find humorous people really, really sexy. If someone can make me laugh, they've got, you know, an entry into my heart or something like that. It can also be just a um, personality type. And so I do think that we all to some degree have types. Separating that from fetish, it goes back to that idea of objective objectification. If you say all blondes are this, and I'm going for blondes because they tend to be more and insert whatever the hell you might be thinking about blondes, that's falling much more into objectification and thinking that it's oh because they're this, they are going to be this kinds of way, right?
0: So let's say you get past the dating app or the initial meeting. Let's say you're on a date. If you're in a position and I've been in this position before that you realized you might, you might be getting objectified. Or you might be getting fetishized. What do you do? I love
1: asking questions. One of my favorite questions, and this is great general advice, broadly speaking, whenever someone expressed interest in you and you're together and they're like, Oh, you're so great. or saying wonderful things. Ask them, what do you like about me? What do you find interesting about me? the answers to that question can be very revealing. If the question, if the answer is something like, oh, well, you know, you just have so much flavor and I just think that you, and it's some bullshit thing that just sounds very much like a stereotype, but not specifically about you and your personality and who you are as a person, that person might be objectifying you. Uh, If we're talking about dating someone who doesn't match your ethnicity or doesn't match your religion or something like that. And then they start describing what they like about you. And it starts to sound a lot like a stereotype of- your ethnicity or your religion or your nationality, then they may be objectifying. And so I'd say that that's one of the easy, quick you know, questions to ask. And by the way, as I mentioned earlier, that's something to ask whether we're talking about fetishizing or not, or trying to suss that out, finding out what someone likes about you. What are they paying attention to? What are they noticing? What are they valuing in you? I think that's a very healthy, helpful question to ask.
0: Do you have any advice for people to help expand their preferences?
1: Yeah, I would say first, even examining what they are, like really being honest with yourself. I don't think we really make a lot of room for our lives to have conversations and deep thought about why am I attracted to the kinds of people that I'm attracted to? I remember one of my first... uh, conversations about that. I was actually in my 20s. And I had a friend, I was telling her, she kept trying to get me to date this other guy. And I was like, he's not my type. I've never dated anyone like that. And I was explaining what my type is. And she said, and look how well that's working out for you. And so it was (laughs) one of those moments where I actually had to stop and think, like, yeah, why, why am I going for this or that or whatever? And so I think it's very helpful first to do that background homework to really examine why do you find certain things appealing? Or attractive, where did that come from? Where did you get that? Where did you learn that? Why do you find certain things attractive? And really do the work to kind of dig into that deeper. So that would be the first part, knowing what you're working with in the beginning. And then when you talk about expanding that, why, right? Like if you are having healthy relationships, if you're finding people who love you and love you back, and you don't feel unfulfilled in your love life, like I don't think more is always better, right? I think finding what works for you is what's best. And so I would say, if you are questioning whether you should expand, think about why, like, do you actually need to? And then if you are, then I would say, starting with that assumption that all humans are humans, and we're not fetishizing anyone. Just start, like, changing your filters on these online dating apps and uh, websites and things like that. When you reflect on that and see, like, did I filter some people out based on, religion, height, age, ethnicity, nationality, anything like that, and think, do I feel comfortable keeping those filters in, or do I need to, like, open those up a little bit?
0: hmm So pivoting a little bit, what issues do you see right now pertaining to sex with Gen Z and millennials? I don't see – so
1: what – some of the trends that I'm noticing, I like the word trends more than issues because issues mm-hmm. – seems to problematize it like there's something that you're doing wrong that you know gen xers or boomers or any of the other folks didn't do or vice versa i think some of the things that i've noticed some of the trends i do think that millennials to a greater degree even gen z i saw this video on tiktok I that was hilarious they were saying gen z coming out it was like gen z come out it was a straight line And it said, you know, Gen X coming out. And there was this complete wiggle. Exactly. Did you see that video too? It was hilarious. And it was like, go around. Oh, I'm not in all these things. And I, I think that there's been such a graciousness and openness about really rethinking when we talk about sex and we're talking about dating and love and all of these things, even what is appropriate and what is possible, like there's been such an opening up in that respect, which I think is absolutely beautiful. And we've gotten away from this idea of cisgender, straight, uh, heteronormative, uh, dating that is monogamous. Like that's very, very suffocating for a lot of people. And so I say, that's one thing that's been great. It's just like blowing that completely out of the water, as far as the way that we think about how we have sex, what sex means how we think about gender, what gender means, and how all of that comes together when you're talking about finding another partner to date. So that's Mm -hmm. fantastic. I love that. Uh, One of the other things uh, that's been good too is, let me think, so I'd say that was the first thing that came to mind, is all of the uh, upheaval that we've seen and the rights gained when it comes to things as marriage as well. Um, And this for millennials and what millennials have, available compared to what gen x and boomers did and gen z has now available too based on the fights that a lot of people made in earliest generations we all stand on the shoulders of people who came before us uh so that would be the first thing some of the other things i would say much more availability like the the just Expansive nature and the amount of apps and dating, and just the ability to meet more people from everywhere. Really, you've got much more of that now. With Friendster, I think was one of the early ones, MySpace, and then you have Facebook and Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, like the whole, like how it's just been going out. And speaking of all this, we talked about TikTok, and I mentioned it just now. When you think about dating apps and dating sites, we talked about Hinge, Bumble, OKC, all of these. We've got to remember any place that allows you c- to connect with and meet other people. People are finding dates that way too, and finding partners that way. You, I love this show, Ninety Day Fiance. I probably should have but do I love it? <laughs> love it. One of the couples on the other way, or before the ninety days, I don't remember. They met on a singing app. Do you watch the show? you know this? Like you can duet people, basically. You sing, they sing, and you duet sing. And they ended up meeting each other through that app. And so it's like, it's not, it seems it wasn't a dating app, but they met that way. And so I would also say that too, that not only are dating apps where people are dating, people are meeting each other anywhere that people are able to connect with each other digitally.
0: That's so true. I I call Instagram like the biggest dating app right now. (laughs) Right. But right now tiktok is huge i love tiktok i'm all over it (laughs) it's addicting i think something that's really interesting with tiktok is that it how instagram was a few years ago that's what it feels like tiktok is now so tiktok the idea of tiktok maybe being the dating app of the future unintentionally is super interesting um and most of gen z is on tiktok uh, and I think there's good and bad things about it, like you said trend wise there's a lot of acceptance on uh, with the younger generation, and even with my generation, I would say compared to people to one or two generations, yeah, exactly so there that's definitely an amazing thing, but I also see, and I feel like you mentioned this um in a past conversation we had, but the idea of using people of color for clout. So you have Mm -hmm. these young boys saying, I like women of all shapes, all sizes, all colors. And- Show me the proof, did you see that video? (laughs) Show me the proof, exactly. (laughs) It's like, but where? And (laughs) one thing that I found really troubling and something that happened recently on TikTok was a lot of black creators were being undervalued on TikTok. Don't know if it's part of their algorithm what's up with that they were like you know what one day you see a person of color on your feed like it comment engage with it let's boost the algorithm so that was really amazing to see a lot of poc creators on my for you page I saw one about um a black girl and her experience stayed uh hooking up with a white guy at her predominantly white institution uh like college, and one of the comments that got a ton of likes was, Well, I don't want to be mean, but most people, most guys just get with a black girl so they could tell their friends that they did. And that broke my heart. I was like, Why does this have so many likes? And how I, I'm wondering if that culture is being perpetuated like, Oh, I'm fronting as being woke, but in like behind everything ever there's nothing really changing yeah
1: i mean there is no shortage of random people saying random things in the internet and random mm-hmm. folks liking it right and so i would say about that one of the things that i've learned over time of dating and as we talk about dating in your 20s versus your 30s 40s 56 however, however long you shall live should we all be that lucky right but one of the things that I think when I first started dating, I thought was that I was afraid of being hurt. I needed to make sure that like I trusted the other person before, you know, I really moved forward with them and really trying to focus on whether I trust them. And I think that what I switched to over time is much more this idea of trusting myself and really starting there. And starting with loving and trusting myself, trusting myself to make good decisions, trusting my instincts when I feel a certain way about someone, trusting that I have the right to ask questions, I have the right to get to know people better. And I would say that through my 20s, that's something that I, that was a, you know, emotional and de- developmental muscle that I built over time during there. And when I started in my early 20s, I didn't have sex for the first time, penetrated, vaginal sex for the first time, I was 22. I grew up evangelical, so I was, in my mind, a late bloomer. It wasn't until later that I realized, no, actually, like, tons of people have sex at all different ages. There's no right timeline for anyone. And I felt comfortable when I did it. And there are people who did it much earlier, and there are people who did it later. Uh, but all of that is to say, when we're talking about hooking up with someone who may be older or younger, different ethnicity, different, or, for example, straight people, because we get that a lot uh, – we hear LGBTQ community saying that as well. So-and-so mm-hmm. straight and only hooked up to kind of like have that experience or whatever wasn't actually interested in me. And there was a great film, what was that one? God, it's escaping me right now. There's a great film about that. It was a woman of color, actually. She was like really into this woman and the girl was just not into her at all. She's like, I'm straight, this was fun, but like I'm moving on kind of thing. And mm-hmm. so I think a big part of that is one, just like, Asking a lot of tough questions of people, like making sure that if you're not comfortable or you're not sure, ask. That's that whole trust yourself most, right? Like make sure you ask and have real conversations with people. I don't think anyone wants to feel like they're an object. You're being fetishized Mm -hmm. or a notch on someone's belt, so to speak, or something like that.
0: Yeah, 100%. What sort of advice would you give my – female listeners on how to be empowered when they're dating how to feel confident about their body and who they are and sexually i know that's a lot
1: <laughs> i am very active in girl Trek, which is like healthy black women healthy black girls and mm-hmm. we organized this talk with angela davis who i'm named after Twana angela hines uh and nikki giovanni so i'm going to borrow a line from nikki giovanni because a twin assuming she was 20 something based on her age And the way she looked, I'm assuming I could be completely wrong by that. People never guess the age that I am. And so she uh, asked Nikki Giovanni a similar question, like, right? When you Mm -hmm. doubt yourself, things like that. And Nikki, and I'm paraphrasing here, said, you know, you have to wake up each day and realize that you're wonderful and just tell yourself, you know, I'm wonderful. This, I'm not paraphrasing. This is verbatim. She said, and keep the fuck saying it. And so that's what I would say as well. Keep the fuck saying it. I think as, People, if you're an oppressed person in this country, so if you grew up poor, if you're a person of color, if you're LGBTQ, if you um, aren't able bodied, if you aren't, um, if you grew up with some type of oppressed community in this country, looking externally for external validation that you are okay and you are to be valued and you are to be loved may come up short sure, quite frequently. That is something that you have to find within yourself, that's something you have to find. You know, your squad around you that's going to be supportive of you and build you up and pick you back up when you feel down. That's something that you've got to really focus on the people that you keep around you. And that's not just about dating. When we talk about healthy relationships, we have to make sure that we're thinking about all interpersonal relationships. A lot of us get a lot of very negative talk about ourselves from our family, from, you know, our parents or from a sibling or someone who made us feel bad about who we are, how we look, how much weight we have or what have you. And Mm -hmm. so we have to really kind of deconstruct a lot of that, build ourselves up and surround ourselves with people who are on our team. Um, If you're not on Team Twana, you don't get to hang around, right? I'm living rent-free in a lot of people's heads and I'm fine with that. (laughs) I'm okay with just keeping my inner circle tight, small and supportive and wonderful. And that makes me feel good. And so I really encourage everyone to do that. Curate the people you have around yourself. Like make sure that you're keeping your relationships across the board, healthy, happy, and sane.
0: And something that I think is super interesting that has come up more recently when I talk to my male guests, and this might be more geared towards my male listeners as well, there is a lot of conversation now about, um, you know, approaching women in a heterosexual relationship for dating or for hooking up or something like that. Men are more afraid to do that for fear of getting, quote, me too I'm wondering if you have any opinions on how the male maybe the straight male mindset has shifted since the me too movement has taken a foot
1: you know i think i'm so grateful for the me too movement and the very hard work that toronto burke has done to make that an actual movement and to make that something that we can have a conversation right now right now and say me too Mm -hmm. knows exactly what that means that's very important it gave us all the language that we need to talk about sexual assault sexual harassment and all the kinds of things that shouldn't be happening in interpersonal relationships. And so I would say that any man who's listening and feels like, Oh my God, I don't even want to go there. And whatever one, just like I said about thinking about who you date and who you don't think about what is it about the way in which you approach people that think that they may tag you as a me too, like, what is it that you fear? Right. And really slow that down. Is it that you genuinely think I can't even speak to a woman or I'm going to be or is it that I'm not sure what I can say like what is slow all of that all the way down what is it about it that makes you feel me that you may be me too and really 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 be honest about that because it could be like all right so I used to say whatever and that's not okay anymore and so now I don't know what else to say and so it's just like healthy eating and it's really about if you take something away, so if you're saying, Well, I used to say these things, and I feel like I can't even say that anymore, what are you replacing that with? And so really bone up and skill up on healthy relationships. I mean, in the YouTube and TikTok and you know, Google Air, there are so many ways to learn about healthy relationships and up those skills. Um, read my writing, <laughs> write about healthy relationships all the fucking time. Uh, and so like how can you we get those skills? skilled up, owned up a bit more so that anyone who's feeling like and I'm assuming that this where this may be coming from. Like if it's coming from this space of I used to do this, this is no longer okay. I don't know what to do now because I'm gonna get me to if I do that. So what now? So it may just be a, a skilling up kind of space that needs to happen, of replacing some behaviors with different behaviors that's possible. Um, it may be a communication uh thing that needs to happen, like really just saying, you know, like I think you're really attractive I'm interested in asking you out I'm not sure if you're interested in me too and I don't want to be inappropriate inappropriate uh, so I just thought I'd throw that out there I can't imagine anyone but like, oh god I can't believe you said that to me it sounds very considerate it sounds very honest it sounds vulnerable it sounds all of these very good things and so it's some of it maybe building skills for healthy relationships and what that looks like which we all self included continue to learn and grow and evolve over time like I I wouldn't say that I am perfect and I somehow have learned everything there is that needs to be learned about healthy relationships. Ask any of my exes, and I'm sure they will be very quick to tell you that I'm not. Like, we all learn. We all grow. And so I don't think this is something that just men or just women or just 20-somethings struggle with. And so if mm-hmm. there's a man out there who's listening to this and is like, I'm afraid I might be me too, but I don't know what to say, either A, skill up, or B, really think about having more conversations. Um, with the people that you're interested in chatting
0: with. Something that you just mentioned a lot is a healthy relationship. How would you define a healthy relationship?
1: Respect, equality, and safety. Those are three core ingredients. Do Does each partner respect the other one? so that's going to be very important. Uh, do they have equality? Do they feel equal to their partner? That doesn't mean they make the same money. That doesn't mean that they have the same interest or the same job. It means that do they feel like they have equal value and equal worth in that relationship? Do they feel like they are just as important in that relationship as their partner is? Um, so equality is very important. And then, of course, safety. How safe do you feel in that relationship? And when I say safety, I'm not just talking about physical assault, like, do you feel like that person's going to like lock you up or kidnap you or hit you, like any physical kind of things? I mean, emotional safety, too. Do you feel like you can be honest with this person and vulnerable and share things with them and they're not going to throw that shit back in your face during a fight? Like, do you feel actually safe in that relationship with your partner? And so I'd say those are really baseline, really core, just respect, equality, safety. And then when we go up from there and think of like, what are the ways in which you feel that you can have a healthy sex life? So not just like, okay, like in a relationship, but what are the boundaries, you know, when it comes to sex? I think there are three rubrics that people tend to use. SSC, which would be safe, sane, and consensual are the things that you're doing with your partner or that your partner is asking you to do safe, sane, and consensual. Another rubric to use, because people would say, well, what do you mean by saying what you might consider sane is very different from what I might consider sane. Rack is another one, risk aware, consensual kink. So like, how can we make sure that like, we're aware of whatever risk we may be taking, right, while we're having sex? Um, consent, always important, and being king friendly and king positive, like that. Some people like to kink it up and that's okay. And then the third rubric that I usually see thrown around is GGG, good giving, and gaining. Are you good to each other? Are you giving in this relationship and you gain for whatever? So I'd say, like, as you think of healthy relationships and healthy boundaries in the sex that you're having, those are two real quick and easy resources or tools to be thinking as far as rubrics.
0: We still have I would say like 10ish minutes, so I want to make yeah. sure we talk about okay. a few other things. Um one being we are now in a completely unprecedented time. No one has anticipated being locked down in their houses away from social in-person contact. How do you what or what advice can you give people during this time to date and grow relationships
1: oh I love this I'm literally doing on YouTube every other Tuesday sexual health and COVID-19 it's a video series live dispatches from my living room it's like just a YouTube live and I go on there and I talk about different things and so we talked specifically about like how if you're in a relationship how do you keep it sane and good when you're around them all the time you want to strangle them because you're just like oh my gosh I'm so sick of seeing this fucking person even how they breathe is annoying me or if you're single and you're like, I've been in my house, I haven't been touched for eight weeks and it's driving me insane. So we did an entire episode about that just uh, two weeks ago because tonight is the next one. So that one was before that. So I'll send you the links to those so you can share them with your listeners. Yes, and please. Yeah, no worries. So that way, in case people want more tips than I could possibly give in the next few minutes. But um, the quick and dirty uh, kind of summary of those things. So. One, the very best sex and the safest sex that a single person can have right now is with yourself. And so masturbation, always good and delicious. And if you usually do the same thing when you're masturbating, so you lay on your back in your bed, or you lay on your stomach in your bed, or you're in the shower, you're whatever, mix that up a little bit just so you don't feel like you're doing the exact same thing all the time. So that's the first thing. The safest sex that you can have is with yourself. And with yourself includes toys. The cell of you know Dildonics, which is um, Wi-Fi enabled and all of these kinds of you have the toy, I have the remote, I can do something to you with my remote. The cell of those have skyrocketed uh, during COVID. And so think of the different kinds of toys in which you can use yourself or that you and a partner can use while social distancing. So that's another thing that you can do. So if you level up from there, from sex with yourself, uh, sex with someone who is uh, sheltering the same way that you are, the so same physical distancing the same the way that you are, and preferably is in your home would be, you know, the next one. That if there's someone that you're living with, you're keeping the exact same things, so you've really got the same the same routine down. And so whatever fluids you've got, they've got. Whatever you've been exposed to, they've been exposed to. That would be the next level. And of course, the next one up from that, I do not at all recommend anyone hooking up with anyone in uh, times of COVID uh, when we don't really know a lot about the virus still, it's still fairly new. I think one of the things about having seen this before with HIV AIDS, like even though I was a very, very little kid still, that was like the late eighties, early nineties, you know, like the eighties and nineties when we really saw the AIDS epidemic come to United States. And so it was a lot of similarities between HIV AIDS and coronavirus, both viruses, Both in the very beginning were spread because people were focusing on who was being infected by the virus instead of how it was being transmitted. HIV AIDS, people focused on IV intravenous drug um, injecting people in the LGBT community. Coronavirus, people focused on old people in the very beginning. I don't think anyone who's around who doesn't remember when they just said it was old people only. And so people who weren't old were like, well, I'm not, you know, it's not going to harm me because I'm not very, very old. And so I think there's so many things to learn. And I think one of the takeaways from HIV AIDS that I hope we carry forward was that a lot of the early treatments, a lot of the early things that were tried just weren't known. We didn't know what the effect would be and we don't prescribe those. We don't use those anymore. So we need to make sure that we're taking care of how we relate to and spend time with and spread each other's um, little juicy bits with each other in the time of COVID, especially as stuff starts opening up, right? And people start getting, it's warm outside and more skin showing. And I've been inside all this time and people are saying it's okay to open up. And so starting to kind of slip a little bit. And as we go into the fall and Fauci himself has said, we will, he believed, have, you know, a comeback of COVID in the fall that we really do keep ourselves safe. Try and think of, and it's hard, right, to think of like five years from now, 10 years from now, because sure, as said five years ago, nobody said, I bet we'll be in a global pandemic. <laughs> and so it's hard to really forecast, but try and think of like in the future, looking back on how we're behaving now when we're a global pandemic, we're out of it. The way people talk about the 1918 flu and read up on what people were doing then. And they were like, yeah, but it was nice outside. So I went outside and I had sex with two people. And i like, you know, licked or whatever. It's like, wait a minute. <laughs> like, it's going to seem somewhat reckless. Like when you think of the fact that we are in a pandemic, I think when we're in it, it's hard to remember that because I don't think we even have the ability to really conceive of that. We were living through a pandemic globally, everyone right now. That's a lot. That's a lot to really uh stomach. And I, my heart, I think for millennials and Gen Z is going through this too, it's got to be, frustrating having either a just entered college or just graduated as a lot of people did I watched Obama's speech and loved it to graduate together it's got to be very hard to be living in this time where you're like you've gone through now COVID the 2008 economic you know turned out just a lot of things it's been my heart goes out to a lot of people who are graduating around this and kind of trying to find a job in the middle of a pandemic it's very hard but Going back to dating and what all of this means for that, I would say just keep yourself safe and just remember there is so much that we don't know about the coronavirus, COVID-19 right now. Like it just hasn't been long enough. And even when we have treatments, we won't necessarily know the long-term effects of those treatments because they'll be new. And so there's just a lot that we don't know.
0: That's so true. And especially with summer Fast approaching and the weather getting nicer. Like, I'm in New York. I'm in the global center of the pandemic, and you can walk outside and walk to the park, and people are having picnics. Yeah. And it's definitely a very weird time. I think a lot of the social norms are complete, people are confused. They don't know what to do, and everybody's doing what they think is right for themselves, which is not necessarily what's right for everyone else oh, yeah. so it's definitely I think it's tough um and for those who are single I feel you
1: yeah. <laughs> it's hard.
0: hard totally I've
1: had zoom dates I'm single right now and mm-hmm. I've had zoom dates during this which has been fun and I think I will actually consider having video and you can use there's a million of these things right like zoom house party Marco Polo you can do, even this now what we're doing FaceTime. Google me, there's a million different things you can use. And so I've done two of those now. And it was such an interesting experience that I think even after COVID, I'm still gonna do video dates before I actually meet up with people. Because like one guy, and all everyone's always wonderful. Like I never speak ill. I never speak ill of the dead, including the people who are dead to me. It's <laughs> 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 One person, <laughs> one person, I would say, uh, I, if we had gone on a date, I probably would have come up with the same conclusion that I did on the Zoom date, which is like, I don't think that we're a good match. Nothing wrong with him. Nothing wrong with me. I just don't think that we're a good match. And I got to say, it's kind of refreshing that it was like, we did all that via video before we even got to the point that we got. I didn't waste my time. I didn't waste his time. And I kind of like that. Like, it would be nice to, instead of doing a phone chat, be like, hey, let's FaceTime. Like, shortly after we connect or we match or link or they've got different terms for each of the different ones, right? But shortly after we are put into each other's inboxes, uh, decide, hey, why don't we video chat? You get to see if it's actually the fucking person in the pictures. Um, And if they're opposed to even doing that, then I would have questions like, why? You know, you could even say, is there something about video chat that makes you uncomfortable? And then, like, watch a couple episodes of Catfish and see what that um, looks like when people say that repeatedly. Uh, but that aside, I would say video chatting can actually be good, and that's something I definitely foresee post-COVID still doing um, when I'm early into meeting someone, if I'm still single. You know, like a year from now, whenever COVID breaks or whatever, that's something I'd still do.
0: Yeah, I think that that's something that some of my other guests have said as well. I think that's amazing. Um, the idea of having that FaceTime or Zoom or whatever is date is like a pre-screener. Yeah. And it's like a great way to get to know someone quickly and see if you have more chemistry than you do over texting. Absolutely. Um,
1: and I would urge a little bit of caution. I'm very extroverted. I'm very comfortable talking to, like, I didn't know we were going to, we, for those of you listening to this, she and I are actually looking at each other at the same time too. We have a Zoom, we have a video, we get to see each other's faces. And I didn't know we were going to do that, but I'm like, I'm down, I'm game. That's cool. It's fine with me. Not everybody's comfortable with like video. Not everybody presents the same on video as they do when they're in front of you. So i say if you do have a first kind of encounter with someone via video and it doesn't feel 100% on, don't necessarily flush them out. Some people are more introverted. Some people just don't like video chat. Some people are just burned out on everyone's talking about Zoom fatigue because like they're on meetings all day or on their happy hours and they're just staring at, you're still staring at a screen. And so I think people are fatiguing from that. And so if someone's just a little bit hesitant, don't necessarily write them off up front because of it.
0: So I'm going to... Bring us to our last segment, which we call Shots. Um, and Shots are just this or that questions. I'm going to ask you them really quickly. And I just want your answer rapid fire. Got I'm it. Are you ready?
1: I am ready. Born ready. I'm loving this. I have no clue what's coming at me. And I'm, I'm kind of excited, kind of turned on, kind of scared. All at the same. <laughs> <laughs> all
0: right. Early bird or night owl?
1: Early bird. I wake up around six in the morning daily.
0: Oh my gosh. I can't even imagine. <laughs> shoes or jackets? Sh- shoes? iPhone or Android? Android. TikTok or Instagram? TikTok. Zoom or Skype? Zoom. Money or fame?
1: Money, fame, famous money.
0: <laughs> spicy or mild?
1: Spicy. Very, very Spicy.
0: Coffee or drink state. Can I give a short exa- explanation here? Mm-hmm. I'm not
1: sure how I feel about the person, I'm always going to suggest coffee. It's fast. If I'm feeling them, I'm going to say, I'm more likely to say drinks.
0: And if you had a boat, what would you name it?
1: Gosh, I don't know. Maybe Amsterdam. I don't know. Something that reminded me of Holland because I lived, I speak Dutch fluently and lived in the Netherlands for years. Well, I mean, that's
0: a great answer. <laughs> All right. So Twana, where can people find you?
1: Yes, I am funky brown like the color chick. Funky brown chick on almost everything. Um I'm also highly googleable. If you google Twana Hines or go to twanahines.com or funkybrownchick.com, you'll find me. twanahines.com is my personal profile so you'll find like links to articles that I've written, uh talks that I've got at campuses bring me in to speak and so like universities that I've spoken at I was at Harvard Northwestern a bunch of different ones like if you want to know more about me personally that's all and then the monikers. my company's name is Funky Brown Chick and so all of my my TikTok Twitter YouTube Insta everything's Funky Brown Chick.
0: Awesome. Twanna hey. thank you so much for coming on. It well, was- thank you. Thank you for having me. I had a blast. I love this. If you enjoyed this episode with Twanna Hines Please like, follow, subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. You can find us at drinks.first on Instagram, at drinksfirst on TikTok, and drinksfirstpodcast at gmail.com. Please, I love hearing from you guys, so shoot me a message. And my personal Instagram is at ariananathani28 and at ariananathani on TikTok. I've had so much fun recording Cocktail Hour, and I hope you guys have had fun listening to it. And I will see you guys really soon with Season 2. Until then, drinks first.
1: Venture X from Capital One is the travel card for people always asking, where next?